Hello and welcome to this week's message from Valley Church. Catch up on recent messages and find out what's happening in the life of church by heading to valleychurch.eu or follow us on social media. Enjoy the message. First Corinthians 6. We'll get there in a second. I'm going to go to 2 Corinthians 6 first, but I want you to go to 1 Corinthians 6 first. Unless you've got a message translation, and then you can go to 2 Corinthians 6 as well with me. Otherwise, it won't make any sense to you. Yeah, isn't it funny how uh, background music makes all the difference? Um, you know, we've been singing, there is only one name who conquered the grave, only one way my soul can be saved, only one truth, only one life, Jesus Christ. And when you have lovely music behind it, that all sounds so lovely and, you know, acceptable and kind and inclusive, except it's the most offensive thing you could ever possibly say or sing um, in our society. There's only one way to God. There's only one way to be saved. There's only one standard of truth. There's only one standard of right and wrong. There's only one God. There's only one Savior. His name is Jesus, and no one gets to the Father except through him. And so we're doing this series called The Truth Will Set You Free because we want people to be set free, right? We... um, no, no pastor wants to preach challenging messages, right? Uh, and you see the empty seats the week after. No, I'm joking. We don't, you're not that type of church. We've got uh, great people. Uh, but no, no one wants to be unintentionally, or, uh, no one wants to be unnecessarily. It was Oscar Wilde who said, a gentleman is someone who's never unintentionally offensive. Uh, no one wants to be intentionally offensive. No one wants to alienate people. We don't, no one wants that. Um, but the truth is, there is only one truth. And if, and if you don't live according to that truth, you're not free. And so we want you to be free. It's, it's what we want for you. It's what God wants for you. We want you to live a wide, expansive life. Uh, I once heard a pastor say that the Bible says the road is narrow, okay, that leads to eternal life. But on the other side of it, there's this expansive life. All right, so there's, there's one way to God, there's one way to eternity, there's one way to salvation, and it's through the narrowest of gates, Jesus, there's one option, any other option doesn't lead there, but once you walk through that narrow gate, you've got this expansive, vibrant, fulfilling, eternally and infinitely satisfying life found in Him. So 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 11 to 13 in the message says, Dear, dear Corinthians... I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide open, spacious life. We didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. I'm speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection. Open up your lives. Live openly and expansively. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12 says, Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Um, Albert King wrote a song once called Everybody Wants to Go to Heaven, But Nobody Wants to Die. And uh, we might say today that everybody wants to change the world, but nobody wants to pay the price. Everyone wants to change the world, but no one wants to help with the dishes. Everyone wants to change the world, but no one is willing to do what it takes to make a difference. Everyone wants to change the world. Everyone wants their life to count for something. Everyone wants to make a difference. Everyone wants to be considered significant. But if you want what they have, we're going to have to pay the price and make the investment and the sacrifice that they made to get it. Right? Joe, full of love. Where is he? Youth. 
If you notice, he looks a little bit like Steve Jobs tonight. But he hasn't yet achieved the heights that Steve Jobs has achieved. Just because you look like it doesn't mean you've got it, all right? It's in his future. I'm believing it. I'll invest, Joe, when you, get, when you make it. I want to cut. But, but, but here's the thing. Every single one of us were hardwired, have been hardwired to make a difference. You all have a dream. I know you do. You all know, deep down, even if everyone from your birth has told you you won't amount to something, you know that that message fundamentally is a lie. You know you were designed for greatness. You know you were designed for significance. You know there's something special about you. And you have wished your whole life that someone would identify it. That someone would notice it. Someone would encourage it. Someone would give permission to it. Someone would release it. And this message tonight is a little bit of a personal uh, journey. A little bit of a message from my experience. Some lessons I've learned. And actually, I really think lessons that particularly the new generation needs to learn. Um, I remember I was blessed to be a, as a teenager, to have uh, been a part of a youth ministry under a certain youth pastor who, uh, who, who really believed that we could change the world. Um, the, the conversation often was, when are we going to see 20,000? When are we going to see 20,000 young people saved? I started a prayer meeting with Andrew George Carter. Uh, on Sunday nights, we started it, and we were praying every Sunday night. 20,000 young people to get saved. We just, we just had like naivety, a, a faith-filled naivety that God can do it. It's not naive because God can do it. We, but we wanted to change the world. I, I find myself some Sundays getting up going, oh God, I just hope they're singing tune. <laughs> or, that's a joke. Or, <laughs> wake up some Sundays going, God, I just, if there's just one, that'd be so good. And I just wonder if we need to rediscover a little bit of that desire for God to do God-sized things. I went to Bible college uh, after my days in the youth ministry and was told for three years that my life was marked for significance. Literally, every chapel service, that slogan projected on the walls, marked for significance. I had a, a, an Aussie pastor who invested in me and believed in me and released me and was willing to uh, spend time with me and always told me to think bigger and dream bigger when it came to the things of God and I was blessed. I know that some of you are thinking right now, well, that's fine for you, Dave, but I've never had that. The way I see it is, is this. Um, God didn't see anything special in me. He went, he's going to need all the help he can get. Um, but whether or not you've had that person in your life, whether or not someone's identified the significance in your life, every single one of you has it. And there is one who knows there is one who sees. There is one who actually created you and formed you specifically to live it out and to fulfill those dreams that he placed in your heart. There is a God who loves you, who designed you, who made you, and who will tell you the truth that you are gifted. You are crafted. You are designed for significance. The problem comes when we start to define significance by who gets to hold the microphone. Jesus says in Matthew 20, 26 to 28, it must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave, just as the Son of Man, just as Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life. Jesus never said you shouldn't want greatness. He never said you shouldn't seek greatness. He never said you shouldn't seek an opportunity for significance. He just said that greatness 
and significance are found on the other side of you laying down your life for others. But it can be hard, can't it, sometimes to see the significance in our lives in the everyday things of life. All right, I've got three kids, so that's like a lot of packed lunches and a lot of my doctor's visits and a lot of putting clothes. I spent 45, my Paul, I spent 45 minutes just folding clothes yesterday. <laughs> Not even washing or ironing, just folding them, finding socks. The mundane, the details, paying bills, housework, school runs, you know, in your career, working with human resources or legal in your, in your department at work or just struggling through with admin and emails and stuff that seems so utterly mundane. You thought, you thought I was designed for significance and all I've done is answer 50 emails and it's all admin. And if I didn't answer any of them, probably in a year, no one would know. What's the point? And I think that because we think like that, sometimes we can get ourselves distracted by other things that aren't going to bring significance, that aren't going to bring freedom, that aren't going to bring fulfillment, that aren't going to bring life. And we think these things bring an element of fulfillment to me. These things bring an element of satisfaction to my life. I'm going to, I'm going to pursue those things and I'm going to forget what God has called me to do. Colossians 3.17 says, whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Which means this, whatever you do, it can be done for Christ. Which means it has significance. The Bible says in Romans 8 that God uses all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. All things. Okay, if you do something for God, he'll use it. You fold the socks faithfully as unto the Lord, it's got significance. You make the dinner for the family faithfully as unto the Lord, it's got significance. You turn up to work on time, prepared, with a good attitude, serving Christ, it has significance. Everything we do, as when we do it unto the Lord, has significance because in, ha in his hands, he uses it for ultimate good. But when we forget the, and I'm going to come back to that, but when we forget the significance of those everyday, seemingly unspiritual, very normal things, we start to drift and we start to pursue other things. Because everything that we um, want in life, human beings are quite inventive, we, we find fast food versions of them, right? We find, we find cheap replacements for them. And as human beings, we are far too easily pleased with the cheap replacements. If you want a title for your message tonight, or my message tonight, it's mine, not yours. If you want a title for my message tonight, it's called Prison Cell Freedoms. Prison Cell Freedoms. Have I prayed yet? Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that tonight, as you speak, we would listen. As you speak, we'd be changed. And as you speak, we would discover something fresh and new about who you are. Um, but God, that we, we would really apply it to our lives. God, I don't, I don't want this to be a clever message. I don't want this to be a, a nice talk. Uh, I, really, I really want to see our lives changed. Uh, so just help us now in these moments. We submit ourselves to you. We ask you to have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've settled that every human being has been designed by God for purpose and significance. Um, but for every big pursuit that can occupy humanity, we tend to have fast food substitutes available to us. Human beings, according to the scriptures, have been designed and hardwired to rule, to have dominion, to accomplish a mission, to rescue the girl, to build something of significance in life to change the world. I mean, Matthew 28 says, disciple, literally save the world. 
right? Okay, so human beings have been literally given the command and the responsibility to save the world. At the moment, the climate change catastrophists are the only one who are really serious about that, all right? But Christians, we have to get on board with that mission. Because this is what we want, as I said, human beings being the inventive bunch that we are, find ways of pursuing fast food versions of saving the world. Let me give you a taster of what I mean in meme form. All right. Living in a fantasy world, accomplishing things in virtual reality when God has something so significant for each one of us in the real world. Uh, Let me explain why I'm calling these things prison cell freedoms. Freedoms, because in our time, the modern ethic is that you should be free to do anything you want as long as it makes you happy and as long as it hurts no one else. So if it makes you happy, if it makes you feel good, if it doesn't hurt anyone else, then you should be free to do it. Freedoms, because these things aren't just tolerated in our society. You don't just have permission to do these things, but actually they are celebrated in our society today. The stigmas that used to be attached to them have been erased, but they're also prison cell freedoms because they are the kinds of freedoms that you can express in a prison cell. You don't need a lot of space. You don't need a lot of ambition. You don't need a lot of opportunity. You could do these things in a six foot by four foot. I don't know how big a prison cell is, You can do them in a prison cell. You can be wrapped up. You can be locked up. And not only that, you can do them in that space, but they are the kinds of things that will keep you locked up at the same time. God wants you to live an expansive life. Never mistake the fact that the door is narrow with the life being narrow. Never confuse the fact that just because there is one way, that that way somehow leads to a narrow place. It doesn't. God wants us to live an expansive life. And he wants you, I guarantee it, he wants you to make a difference, a real one, in the real world. He wants people to start businesses and to write books. He wants you to get married and raise a Christ-centered family. If you stay single, he wants you to serve him like no one else can. He wants us to start churches and make disciples of the nations. He wants us actually to build a Christian world here on earth. His kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. But guess what? That's going to require us to be active in the real world. Not replacing the real mission in the real world with fast food substitutes. So many people are, and I've been one of these people, locked up in that prison cell, doing things that don't matter, not fulfilling my God-given purpose in the real world because I was too easily pleased, too easily satisfied with fast food replacements for what God has been calling me to do. And I know I won't be the only one, and this is by no means an exhaustive list, but I've just picked the first three that I see hindering the next generation. And I think if we can win the victory over these things, there's not going to be much that can stop the next generation. You want 20,000? First of all, we've got to deal with these things. This one isn't necessarily sinful, um, although it probably is for most people, considering the way it swallows up our lives. Uh, I'm talking about... Oh man, so many people are going to hate this message. (laughs) Talking about computer games. When was the last time you heard a sermon on computer games? I can't tell you how many hours I've spent playing video games since I was a child. Couldn't tell you. I had a TV, I remember, and a Sega Mega Drive in my room by the time I was eight. Um, Parenting tip, don't do that. Uh, 
The Bible says train a child in the way they should go and they won't depart from it. The opposite is true. Train a child in the way they shouldn't go and they also won't depart. So video games have been uh, really hardwired into my um, uh, leisure time, uh, you know, quiet private time, you know, since I was seven or eight. Um, so I'm not being judgmental. I am. I'm judging you. <laughs> but I've judged myself first. Because uh, if anyone says I'm not judging, it just means they are. Uh, but I'm being kind while I'm doing it. <laughs> Let me be the friend who tells you the truth. The feeling of accomplishment you get from gaming is robbing you of accomplishing something real in the world. Right? What do games do? They give you a battle to fight, a challenge to overcome, a city to build, a problem to solve, and so on, depending on the game. And you can do all of this in the comfort of your gaming chair, probably still in your pajamas, at stupid times of the day and night, your last shower, a distant memory. <laughs> the feeling of accomplishment, the feeling of winning, the feeling of overcoming, the feeling of getting a victory, the feeling of winning the battle, right? I'm a soldier on Call of Duty. The feeling of accomplishment, but without making any difference whatsoever in the world. Video games are not sinful. Not necessarily. Uh, some types of content might make them sinful to play, but gaming in and of itself isn't bad. I mean, I actually think that playing games can, can be good, right? I, I think my, my kids play games. I think they can be educational. There's nothing wrong with fun, okay? You, they can be fun, and that's okay. But the problem is, these are the kinds of things that sap up eight to ten hours a day for some people. And there'll be people in this room for whom they sap up eight to ten hours a day. Um, confession time. I was married with three kids and I would spend on my, some evenings, three, four hours, right? On free evenings, right? Did I ever feel good afterwards? No, absolutely not. Because I knew wasting my time, wasting my potential, robbing my life of significance and impact. Uh, just to let you know, it's been a little while now since I've done that. I figured I'd get it nailed before I taught on it. <laughs> God has given us all things to enjoy, but not to be mastered by. Okay, so everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial, and I won't be mastered by anything. Okay, so if you can't turn off the PlayStation, if you can't give attention to your family and friends, if you can't choose to do something that you know you ought to be doing with your time, if your day is spent looking forward to being in the virtual world rather than the real one, all of those things are indications that you are actually being mastered by this thing. So... I don't know what a healthy approach is to these things. Um, probably, if I was being honest, I would say if you can't be disciplined to play for just a couple of hours a week, I'd say probably anything more than that might be too much. Might be. Everyone's different. There's different times. There's different seasons. But remember, your life was marked for significance, right? Not for trophies on the PlayStation store. Your, your life was marked for accomplishment in the real world. Your life was marked for greater things than even Jesus did. You aren't going to do it online. You're going to do it in the real world. All right, the second prison cell freedom. Things you can do in a prison cell that will lock you up, bind you up. You're free to do in our society, celebrated to do in our society, but will hold you back. And if gaming isn't inherently sinful, but can be, uh, this one is just plain sinful. Uh, pornography. There is never a time when porn is helpful or healthy. When you watch a movie, say, with violence in it, right, it's all fake, right? It's pretend. Okay, the blood isn't real, the punching isn't real, the weapons aren't real, the person gets up at the end and walks off and 
lives his life. But when you watch a movie with sex in it, that's a real person, a real image bearer of God, and their nakedness isn't being faked, and you, have nev- you can never unsee it. And just like gaming, the prison cell freedom of porn promises a fast food experience that dulls real-life sexual satisfaction. It requires ever more extreme experiences to fulfill the expectations of the porn user, and it rewires our brains to have uh, completely warped expectations of what sex should be. I'm going to just speak specifically about men, uh, because I am underqualified to do anything other than that. I know this isn't just a men's issue, um, but, but let, me, let me just talk to you guys for a second. A man's sex drive is a gift from God, and it should drive you to accomplish something. Now, this is, this just sound, this is so countercultural, but oh, I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, pornography prevents us, pre- prevents us from accomplishing stuff, because this is why. Sex, a sex drive in a man should cause a man to become someone worth marrying. All right? Or as someone recently wrote, they should cause you to want to become the kind of man, the kind of woman you would want to marry, would want to marry. <laughs> okay, a, a sex drive should cause men to become the kind of man that the kind of woman you want to marry would want to marry. That's one, one reason behind a male sex drive. And porn is going to undermine and rob you of that. Your sex drive should drive you to want to achieve something worthwhile in the real world. To be an impressive man. To be someone that attracts someone worth marrying. Who attracts someone you can change the world with. And uh, sex drive should cause us to want to be strong and capable. Provision, protection, self-sacrificial. All of these things are hardwired into us as men. But porn undermines all of it. Porn makes the man feel like he's accomplished his sexual mission with a different woman every night and all the time watching another guy do it. And when the desire returns later that day, he just has to go back to his computer to get a top-up. The only thing driving him to keep earning a wage is probably his high-speed internet connection. This is, this is the extreme. This is what can happen. And every single one of us have got to be honest that if this is tying you up, if this is in your life, it's not just a sin. It is a sin. It's, it's getting in the way of your relationship with God, but it's, it's also something that is, it's not just happening in the prison cell, right? It's not just having an effect at your computer. It's not just having an effect in the privacy of your own home. It is changing you. It is making you um, uh, less able to achieve anything of significance in the real world. I'm sure people achieve all sorts of stuff with this going on. But think what you could achieve. Think what you could see happen if you were honest, told a friend, got healing, got accountability, and won it. Colossians 3 verse 5 says, Therefore put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. The Bible says that the devil's like a roaring lion, right? Walking around seeking who he may may devour. It made made me think, I once heard a, a news story about uh, like a lion and his tamer, and they'd been working on different things. I think it was, might have even been the MGM lion. I can't remember, there's the lion and the lion tamer, and they're walking around on the way to a show, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the apex predator bites him on the leg, right? And you're like, well, it was only going to be a matter of time. Because um, apex predators tend to do that, right? They tend to uh, 
they tend to, at some point, hurt you. And the Bible says that the devil's like that. Sin is like that. It's not something to be tamed. It's not something to be kept on a leash. It's not something to be kept in the privacy of your own home. It's something to be brought into the light and to be taken out and shot. That's what we have to do with this stuff. These will stop you living the expansive life God has for you. You're better than that. You don't need to deal with that. You don't need to carry it. You don't need to be addicted to it. You can have freedom from it. And God has something better for you. So delete Delete the games. Get the accountability software. Throw your laptop away. Whatever it, whatever it takes, get after God's mission for your life. And don't be so easily satisfied with a cheap thrill that God wants something so much better for you. Thirdly and lastly, the third prison cell freedom I want to mention for our time, for this moment, for our culture, for the new generation, is social media. I must sound like such a religious person. Get off your phone. Social media, it's not inherently bad. It can be a great tool, terrible master. But it is easily misused and abused, just like gaming. It's another fast food replacement for something that we all need. It's a fast food replacement for community and real friendship. Listen to some of the following stats. These are all since the uh, release and rise of smartphones in our culture, since the release and rise of social media. I know that correlation doesn't automatically mean causation, but it's going to be hard to escape the obvious link. Since the release of smartphones, I'm going to read these quick. Since the release of smartphones, mental health concerns have increased in children and young adults. The rate of adolescents reporting symptoms of major depression in a given year increased by 52% from 2005 to 2017. From 2009 to 2017, it grew by 63% in adults aged 18 to 25. Experiencing psychological distress in the same period in a given month grew by 71% in young adults. The rate of suicidal thoughts increased by 47%. For older adults, there was no significant increase in these mental health issues because none of them know how to use a phone. <laughs> but the truth is, that is the truth. They weren't raised with these things. Children and young adults experienced the most impact. Between 2012 and 2015, depression in boys increased by 21% and in girls by 50%. By 2015, 92% of teens and young adults owned a smartphone, but as smartphone use has increased, so has depression. The 2017 study of 12 to 18-year-olds found that high levels of depressive symptoms increased by 33% between 2010 and 2015, and the suicide rate for girls between 12 and 18 increased by 65%. It's thought that risks associated with social media use have contributed to child suicide rates that have increased by up to 150%, and self-harm by girls ages 10 to 14 is nearly tripled. So, it's not inherently bad, but it inherently has a lot of bad stuff attached to it. On the other hand, they found that limiting social media use is the best way to improve your mental health using Facebook, Instagram, and Snapchat for only 10 minutes per day for three weeks led to lower loneliness and depression, but reducing social media use to even just 30 minutes a day had similar effects, reducing significantly the levels of anxiety, depression, loneliness, and sleep problems found in those young adults and teenagers. I was just reading on the BBC earlier today about that poor girl in London who was bullied so much on social media she took her own life, I think 17-year-old girl, and... Um, and people are drawn into this virtual world, right, because they don't have to be real. They don't have to have 
real friendships. They don't have to have real community. But look, we are perfectly placed as the church. It's why when we were coming through COVID, I was so glad that we had senior pastors who pushed for us to get back together. Because, because being safe is, is one thing, but we have to be in community. We have to be in real friendship. People actually have to see you and, 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 and experience how you're feeling to know you properly. People have to understand that you are more than just the, what they see on a screen. And, and every single one of us has been designed by God to be known, not just by him, but by people. Right? He created, you know, Claire's message uh, the other Sunday, you know, God creates man, Mm, not so good. Not good for man to be alone. Creates woman, right? What you have is this idea that we need fellowship. We need community. You know, I can be terrible with my phone. I can be, I'm, not, I'm not getting here on my high horse and saying, if you lot would just change. I'm terrible on my phone. To this day, Mel, Mel this afternoon at lunch, had to get me off my phone at the dinner table. I'm not good at this. But we have to get better at this. Right? We have to be able to put these things down and be present in the moment. And the more I do it, the more my kids know I'm interested in them. They know my wife. The more my wife knows she has my attention. Blessings flow. The, the, the relationship flourishes. And God wants this for us. He doesn't want you to be, to be locked up in, in a virtual world of pretend friendships when there are real people in the real world who need your attention, your investment, your love, your friendship, and that is how we will change the world. None of us need any more sources of comparison or FOMO or insecurity or looking at someone else's highlights reel and thinking, my goodness, how much better is their life than mine? You know, the only time I ever go on Instagram is to tell you about my absolute best moments. Swimming pool? Yep. I mean, th th I mean <laughs> this is what we do, right? Don't even bother asking me about the rest of the time. But let's make a decision not to be mastered by these things. I don't want to be prudish. I don't want to be... A stickler. I don't want to get religious spirited about this stuff, but I just feel like I'm a friend telling you the truth, that there is more to life that God has for you. You are designed for so much more than you are currently experiencing, and you've got to get rid of the prison cell freedoms and walk into it. Everything is permissible, but I will not be mastered by anything. Good grief, is that the time? So why do we fall for this stuff? Why do we fall for the prison cell freedoms? Um, 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Eating, drinking, or whatever you do. Okay, the, this means that whatever you do, <laughs> right? Basically means if you can't do something for the glory of God, you ought not do it. But everything else, whatever you do, eating, drinking, tying your shoelaces, getting a bus, everything can be done for the glory of God. And the reason we, and I mentioned this earlier, but the reason we fall for the prison cell freedoms is because we don't realize how significant the details of our lives really are. Okay. I'm told, you know, when you build a house, Pastor Ed's built a house, or at least he's paid other people to build a house. And um, there's two phases, isn't there? The first phase is Look how fast this thing is you know, being constructed. There's walls, there's roofs, there's beams, there's floors. And the second part of it is, this is taking forever as the wiring and the plumbing and the skirting and the doors and the grass and everything else that takes time and detail and diligence gets done. And when you got saved, it was like the structure of a new house was built overnight. And your life was completely changed and transformed and you looked and went, everything is different. 
And for the rest of your life, God's connecting little wires behind the scenes. For the rest of your life, he's, he's plumbing a tap here and he's painting a wall there and he's skimming a wall here and he's, he's putting cork in the bathroom there. And you know, the, the, all the different small details that seem to take so long are still happening in your life. But we think nothing's happening because it's not the structure. No, you're a new creation, designed and marked for significance. So when you're sat at the dinner table, the spiritual battle is putting the phone down and, and discipling your kids. Yeah, yeah. Right? That's the, the battle that matters then. Yeah. Okay, but because it's not a big new structure, we think it's insignificant. But let me tell you, I'm sure that Pastor Ed is glad that eventually the lights got wired. It might have taken a long time, but all of these things add up. And at the end of your life, you look back and you say, I'm glad I was faithful. 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 I didn't give up. Yes, it was mundane. Yes, it was boring. But I've got a God who can make sense out of and bring fruit out of all of it. You know, I was once told that the World War, World War II was won when the Allies landed at Normandy. Band, you can come join me, please. I was once told that World War II was won when the Allies landed at Normandy. Now, if you know your history, you know that's not true, right? They were still 800 miles from Berlin. But effectively, the war was won then, okay? Troops were on the continent. The Americans had joined the war. We got a beach front established. We were on our way to take out Hitler and the Nazis. We were on our way to Berlin. Uh, of course, though, there's a lot of fighting to do in between the beach in Normandy and Berlin. There's a lot of battles to be fought and won, even if the war has already effectively been won. So now think about a young soldier, 17 or 18 years old, he lands on that beach. He knows the goal is Berlin, but all he can think about is the hail of bullets trying to kill him. And he's hidden behind a sand dune or he's hidden in a trench and his goal is 20 meters that way. His goal is 20 meters that way. And in his head, he's thinking, how insignificant is 20 meters? How, how much difference is 20 meters going to make in the grand scheme of things? And every time you sit down and pay attention to your kids, every morning you open your Bible and you say, God, speak to me. Um, every time you serve someone else, every Sunday when you turn up to church, every time you pray, that we'd see someone saved. Every time you put God first in the smallest of details, it's another 20 meters. De devil's firing bullets, you put on the armor of God, but it's another 20 meters. And it's another 20 meters. And that 17 year old soldier making it 20 meters, at some point, many missed out, at some point he made it to Berlin. And if all he saw was the 20 meters, man, you'd give up. That sounds mundane, that sounds hard. But when he and all his mates do a lot of 20 meters, they make it the 800 miles to Berlin and God brings about a victory. God brings about a victory. We have to fight to keep Christ at the center of even the most mundane aspects of our lives. Because when we do, we won't be tempted to go to these other things that we think will bring us fulfillment and freedom and joy and satisfaction when they're just going to lock us up they're just going to keep us restricted they're just going to keep us wrapped up I've talked about gaming I've talked about porn I've talked about uh, social media I, I don't know it could be something else you can be addicted to jigsaw puzzles for all I care it's not the thing it's does the thing have you right 
You can be addicted to all sorts of wonderful things. But the point is, does it have you? Is it mastering you? Can you say no to it and pursue what God has for you? Are you willing to fight the 20 meter battles in your life? John Flavel was a, an English minister in the 17th century. And this is how he put it. It's in old English language, so you have to bear with me. But he says, Dust thou idle away precious time vainly and live unusefully to Christ in thy generation. Oh, when thou considerest, thou art not thine own. Thy time, thy talents are not thine own, but Christ's. When thou shalt see, thou art bought with a price and a great price indeed, and so art strictly obliged to glorify God with thy soul and body, which are his, this will powerfully awaken a dull, sluggish, and lazy spirit. If you're in here tonight and you're feeling dull and sluggish and lazy, you just got to look to Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. He won the battle, he won the victory. And Hebrews 12 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin, the prison cell freedoms that so easily ensnare us and let us run with endurance the race 20 meters by 20 meters by 20 meters, faithful step, faithful step, faithful step that lies before us. God has something so significant for you. You just have to go after it. You just have to lay down the distractions, the sin that so easily entangles, and you just have to get a vision for your life. Jesus said, you'll do even greater things. 20,000, 50,000. Change Bamba Bridge, change a city, change a nation. You know, I once heard a story about evangelism you can stand and uh, <clears throat> you know when we say even things like I'd love to see 20,000 saved and it's, it's not a that's not a special number it's just something from my youth but when we say things like wouldn't it be great to see 20,000 saved wouldn't it be great to see rooms filled and all this kind of thing you know God must be thinking is that all is that all you're believing for <laughs> it's like I've got 8 billion kids what father what father would ever go, I'd be happy if 50% of them made it? <laughs> right, we're not done until it's done. And every single one of you has been marked for significance, has been chosen to serve, has been gifted and empowered and anointed to serve God in your generation and to see something significant happen in this generation. It might feel like a, a slog sometimes. It might feel like that 20 meters is going to make no difference. But all added together, the war gets won. And if you're here tonight with heads bowed and eyes closed and you're saying to me tonight, you know what, Dave, I'm, I'm in that place. There's a sluggishness come on my life. There's a distraction come on my life. Maybe you're wanting to say, you know what, I've been struggling with one of those things you've been talking about. Or maybe it's something else, but tonight you want to give it to God and you want to say, God, I'm in. I'm available. Use me. Whatever it takes, I'm in. If that's you, why don't you just raise your hands and I'm going to pray. Father God, I thank you. I'm not gonna wait. You raise your hands. Father God, I thank you for every single person who tonight is saying, use me. Who tonight is saying, I wanna lay aside these burdens. Who tonight is saying, I wanna get out of these prison cell freedoms and I wanna serve you. Lord God, I'll pray right now you'd uh, reignite a vision for how you could use them, even in the mundane, even in the day-to-day -day, and help them to see that all of it can be used to glorify you and all of it can be used to make a difference if they do it for you and they glorify you in it. So Father, fill them with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. And with heads bowed and eyes closed all across this room, if you're here tonight and maybe you're hearing for the first time that there is a God who has designed you and marked you for significance, 
Maybe you've heard all sorts of crap in the past about you'll never amount to anything or you're just an accident or you're just a, a random happenstance of the universe. Well, tonight I'm here to tell you that there is a God who designed you, who loves you, who has significance on your life, and he is desperate to give you the opportunity to follow him, to walk with him, and to see that happen in your life. And we get to do that because of Jesus, because he died on the cross in our place to forgive our sin so that we could live that expansive life. And if you're here today and you don't know him, but you're saying, I need to get to know this Jesus, then on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to do something brave. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand up just so I can see it high enough and long enough for me to see it. I'll let you know you can put it down and then we're just going to pray. So if that's you tonight, you're saying, oh, Dave, I need to be included in this prayer. I need a relationship with Jesus. I'm in for the fight. I'm in for the challenge. I want to make my life count for something. On the count of three, you raise your hand. One, two, three. Is there anyone tonight? Fantastic. Come on, church. Let's pray together. I'd like us to repeat out loud this prayer after me. We say as a church family, Dear Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for living life my own way. But from this day forward, I choose to live only for you. So fill me with your Holy Spirit and use me to fulfill your purposes on the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. follow Jesus, we'd love to help you to do that. One of our pastors would love to be in touch with you. Why not email response at valleychurch.eu or head to valleychurch.eu forward slash next steps to discover more. We're so excited for your future. Be blessed.